He's a career law enforcement officer. A violent encounter early in his career launched his jujitsu training regimen. He's here to talk about that incident, other incidents where it has saved his life, the life of a suspect, and more. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. In the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, we are joined by special guests talking about their experiences, their realities of investigating crimes, plus those who have experienced horrendous trauma, police, first responders, military, and victims of crime share their stories. Hi, I'm John J. Wiley. In addition to being a broadcaster, I'm also a retired police sergeant. Be sure to check out our website, letradio.com and also like us on Facebook. Search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. If you want to be a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, simply contact us. It couldn't be easier. You can send us a message on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show page or email j at letradio.com That's jay at letradio.com Call us from South Florida, a neighbor Freddie Trillo is on the phone. Freddie is a career law enforcement officer, and he is also a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Uh, Freddie, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk with other cops. And first of all, before I forget and get tied up in our conversation, thank you for your service. I did my time in Baltimore. You did in South Florida. Uh, There's no cakewalk for either one of us. I'm certain of that. Oh, absolutely not. I've heard horror stories about Baltimore. I didn't even want to start, man, because I might just have a breakdown right here in the radio. There'd be no <laughs> bueno, no good. Before we get into the conversation, I want people to know, you've you've done 25 years in law enforcement, and are you still active, reserve, retired? What's your status? I'm uh, still, uh, no, I'm reserved. I'm not active uh, and in Going on 30 years now, if you count the last couple of years that I've been reserved, but basically, I'm retired. i got to tell you, that's a lot of dedication. Do 25 years and then say, I'm going to do this part-time as reserve officer. That's really dedication to the job. Yes. uh, More than anything, it's the dedication to training cops because of my specialty. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, when I retired, I got hurt and retired young. I was 33, and I thought I sprained my wrist, Freddie. Turned out, multiple surgeries, a couple steel plates, and I was retired. You know, there's certain damage from the career that we all go through. But the hardest part was, all of a sudden, the men and women I worked with for so long, they were no longer part of my life. It was over. Yes. I I understand that. The camaraderie that you get from your co-workers is very hard to replace yeah Uh, i think we could all deal without having to do police work but more than anything it's it's that commodity that the the, you know hanging out with the guys you know working together that's what i really miss the most yeah i don't miss the circus but i do miss a lot of the clowns i worked with i'll I'll put it to you that way yes exactly that, that that applies to any officer anywhere in the world i know we're going to talk about specifics for your career we're going to talk about there's something about use of force and police work no one wants to do it when you have to do it it's always ugly it always looks bad you cannot have a a hands-on use of force scenario that ever looks good before we get into your career i was watching i finally started watching southland i've never seen it before and there was a, a scene where a young rookie cop did i guess you would call a a guillotine 
choke on the neck of a much bigger, much larger suspect and, and choked him out, got him cuffed, and then the guy came back too. And I thought, man, I remember back in the day when that was something we did quite often. However, it's now become very unpopular and politically incorrect and oftentimes illegal in certain areas. Yes, it's, uh, to my knowledge, there is no department in the U.S. that's even allowed to use it anymore. And that's a shame because it is, and, and it's actually, I don't even refer to it as a choke because if, if, you, be, if you want to really be technical, it's a strangulation. It's right. not a choke. Yeah. The choke is when you choke on something that's obstructing your airway that, that you know, like food or, or, or something. But, but when you put somebody out, you know, you're, you're putting them out by, by um, you know, slowing down the, the flow of blood to and from the brain. Right. And that's what causes the person to, to pass out. Quite painless and, and very effective. Yes, but it like is. anything else. If you abuse it, yes, it could be deadly. And that's what happened. Yeah, and another thing is if they're not really adequately trained in it, and there's no perfect scenario. The suspect's fighting you, you're fighting, you're rolling around. We had a saying, when there are people that are high on PCP, sometimes cocaine, mentally, or the term nowadays is emotionally disturbed, mental cases we call them, and sometimes just police fighters, you couldn't do anything to slow them down. The only the only weapon you had that could be effective was a choke. Yes, yes. I've done hundreds. <laughs> I've put a lot of people out uh, throughout my 25 years of service. But then again, I was doing it in a time where it was allowed right. to be done. And I would, you know, I'm, I, I'm, an, I'm an expert in it. I, I, do it. I do it very well. I've never had a problem with it at all. Right. And here's the thing, and before we get into your career, I find this to be a fascinating conversation because so many people are, are, are anti-choke, and I get it. I understand why they, they hear that in the news media, they hear that from politicians who have no comprehension about what's going on, and they have even less comprehension about the dangers on the street. When a choke hold, for lack of better words, is used effectively, the person's put out quickly, they're handcuffed quickly, they recover quickly, there's no stitches, there's no open wounds, there's no fighting, there's none of that nonsense, and the threat for everybody is over. Exactly. When you're left exactly. with, you can't do that, now you're rolling around with people, and the, the chances of using deadly force increase dramatically. Yes, that is true. So we're going to stop preaching. We're going to stop, get off the box because that, that was a different time. And well, we did have a saying back in the day, and I'm sure you can relate to this if you want to respond to it or not. That's totally up to you. But we had a saying, I'd rather be tried by 12 than carried by six. Meaning when things got really, really bad and it became a life and death battle, sometimes these battles escalated quickly. They may not start off as life and death. They may start off as something as simple as someone banging a street sign. However, the, the threat to, to the officer involved escalates so quickly, you do whatever it takes to submit that person, get them arrested, and, and taken into custody, and no harm done to you. If it got beyond that, and people got charged, that's what happened. Exactly. But in order to do that type of police work, you have to have a solid backing of you know, supervisors, brass, people within the department that are going to go back for you if you're doing the right thing and 
you know, you're doing things by the book, and so be it. If you're doing things by the book, yes, you're still going to get complaints, but you're going to have the backing of your 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 administration, and and when you have that, you're able to perform your job better because you don't have to worry, man. I can't do this. I can't do that. I, you know, I, I, I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't. And that can cost an officer's life because yes, in can. that, in that, in that one incident, in that one situation, you don't have minutes to sit there and figure that in Google uh, an answer. You have to come up with like split decision answers uh, based on what you have at that time of that situation, and that is not easy. And that's something that many people. You know, sitting behind a desk up on a third floor, don't seem to uh, understand sometimes. So I think you're yeah, too polite, back, Freddie. Uh, we had a saying that the people, the, the pencil pushers, the most dangerous thing they encountered was a rusty paperclip. Talking with Freddie Trillo, career law enforcement officer, Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt holder. We're going to talk about violent situations in his career that launched his jiu-jitsu career and how we save lives by using jujitsu on the streets. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. If you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T radio show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L.E.T. radio show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. Return conversation with Freddie Trillo, a retired South Florida law enforcement officer. He's still reservist. He trains law enforcement officers. He is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt holder. He's also an instructor in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and a whole lot more. I believe his website is Trillo Jiu-Jitsu.com. That's spelled T-R-I-L-L-O-J-I-U-J-I-T-S-U.com. Freddie, before we went to the break, we started alluding to the fact that early in your career, you had a situation that became violent, and it, it was a, a wake-up call for you about your physical training. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Uh, I graduated from the academy in 1991, and in 1992, I was working in a city called Opalaca, and this is the 90s. Uh, man, this is heavy times, and uh, that was the city that had the most crime in all of Dade County, South Florida. It was it was solid bad. But uh, one day, I um, I took a traffic stop. I was on my own at that moment already. I was out of uh, field training and, and stuff, so I was patrolling on my own. And I saw a guy speeding, blow a stop sign. And, you know, in, in Opalaca, let me uh, slow it down a bit. In Opalaca, you're not really focused on traffic enforcement because it's a high crime area. There's so much. If you're not writing a report, you know, you're arresting somebody. That's how it, it, it's like nonstop. You really don't have a lot of time to be doing traffic enforcement. But this guy, I mean, clearly blows a stop sign right in front of me, kind of in a reckless manner. And, and so I... um. I immediately activated my, my lights and siren. Now, here's the thing. Most people, most, most officers will tell you that, you know, when you activate the lights, the person may go a block or two before they even pull over. You know, it'll give you some time to even get on the radio, call your, your, your location in and stuff. But that, couldn't, that didn't happen in my call, okay? As soon as I activated my lights, he slammed on his brakes, stopped his car, 
jumped out of the car and immediately started walking towards me. So I don't have time to tell the guy, hey, can you please stop while I get on the radio? No, you have to stop what you're doing and address what it is because he, he, you know, he could be walking up with a gun in his hand and you're a sitting duck in your car. So I immediately jumped out of my car and I knew, I could tell in his demeanor that he, there was something about him that just wasn't right. He was mad. He was foaming from the mouth. He was a big dude. I'm, you know, I'm only five foot nine. And at the time I was like 150, 160 pounds, if that. And this guy was like six foot two, 230, chiseled, muscled dude. And I, I knew something was up. So I played really quick. I switched uh, the scenario on him. I said, sir, I'm sorry. I, I see that you're in a hurry. And I'm so, so sorry to disrupt you. I just stopped you because I thought you had an emergency or something. You know, I saw you speeding. And then, and so this threw him off. And he actually stops his pace. He, he, he stops. Momentarily, he stops. Because in his mind, he's probably saying, wait a minute, this officer doesn't know what I just did. And uh, I didn't know what he had just done. And to make a long story short, um, he, just, he had just carjacked that car. He uh, beat up an elderly person a few blocks away. The call had not even made it to dispatch yet. It had not even been called in yet. It was a fresh uh, robbery, and uh, he had just taken this car, and I didn't know that. And so to make a long story short, we had some little talk. I had asked him for his ID. He pulls out a li- uh, an ID. Uh, he pulls out a wallet, and out of the wallet, when he opens it, a uh, uh, he, he was a black male, and the card, the card, the ID that fell was an elderly white male. So I look at the card. I look at him, and now imagine we're both within five feet of each other, and the card falls in between us. And we both look down at the card, and we both look at each other, and the only thing in my mind was, oh, Yeah, that's a, that's a real uh-oh moment. Here we go. <laughs> yes, it, it's like one of those where... All right, it's going to go down right now. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to go down. Uh, he rushed me. And see, this is the part of the academy training that no one ever prepared me for. You know, normally uh, the scenarios are the guy's trying to get away uh, or he's re- resisting you, you know, how to semi-control him. And if he takes off, you know, you set up your perimeter, no big deal. But nobody ever prepared me for what to do if he actually ran at you grabbed you, picked you up, and body slammed you on concrete. Nobody taught me that. Nobody prepared me for that. And this was 1992. There was no UFC, Ultimate Fighting Championship. There was no MMA. Nobody knew about ground fighting, really. He did, apparently, because he once he threw me, he sat on my chest, which we call the mount position, right. and he proceeded to start punching my face. Now, and, and that's very, very dangerous, Freddie, because you know we were always taught this. It doesn't matter how big, bad, or strong you are. When someone gets you, they punch you on the button, meaning right on the certain spot of your chin, it lights out. And when it lights out for a police officer, quite often what happens is they're disarmed and many of them are shot and killed with their own service weapon. Yes. yes. That's the reality well, of what happens. And, and, and people need to understand that. It's just a fist fight. Well, when you're a cop, there's no such thing as just a fist fight. Right. And, and, but it gets even better. He grabs my radio. He throws it over the fence. So now I don't have a radio. 
he grabs my handcuffs. And now he could do all this because he's mounted on me. And unless you're familiar with grappling, it is not easy to get somebody off of you, especially when they're stronger, okay, and heavier than you. It, it is, and punches are flying at your face. It is not easy to do it. So he grabbed my handcuffs. He threw them out of my, over the fence also. So now I don't have handcuffs. I don't have a radio. The only thing I had left was my gun in my, and here's the one thing that I did when I was, I was still a rookie. I knew that I said, you know, the department issued me like a standard safety holster, but it wasn't like um, a level three retention holster. Right. And I, and something told me, why don't you just pay for that extra money and get yourself an extra, uh, 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 a Safari three holster. And I did. And that, is what actually saved my life because he was trying to take Mike. I wouldn't dare. No one that's even listening to this ever, ever try to remove a gun from your waistband when somebody's that close to you because he can easily take the gun away from you. That's and a, now, that, not truth. only are you a dead officer, but any other officer that's approaching you has a chance of getting hurt as well. And everybody's so, in danger. This is the Law Enforcement Show. We are talking with Freddie Trillo. We're going to talk more about this incident and how he made it through it alive and how it changed his career in jiu-jitsu training, in self-defense, and in physical hands-on use of force as a law enforcement officer. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Discover the exciting world of podcasts at hefepods.com. From captivating stories to life advice and much more. There's a podcast for every interest and passion. Be entertained by your favorite radio personalities in both English and Spanish. Don't waste any more time. Find a great English or Spanish language podcast to follow and discover a world of possibilities in your own language. Find the best podcasts at chefepods.com. Back to our conversation with Freddie Trillo on the Law Enforcement Show. Freddie is a retired yet reserve South Florida police officer. Did 25 years and he's been about 30 years now. He's also a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. And his studio is Trillo Jiu-Jitsu. Go online to TrilloJiuJitsu.com. Freddie, before we went to break, we're talking about you being attacked by this guy. And a couple things raised red flags in me right away. And this is street cop me coming out. When we encountered someone that acted in a totally different, unprepared manner than we're used to, like you said, they didn't stop in two, three blocks immediately and came charging at you. Uh, that's what we call acting hanky or just out of the norm. And it creates the radars going off your head, the alarm bells. Another thing you said is he was big, he was muscular, and he was chiseled. Usually that was an indicator that someone just got out of prison. And they were well-trained, well-fed, in great shape, and they were really trained and proficient at battling and fighting police. That is correct. He was a career criminal. That's no difference between Baltimore and South Florida. When someone did that, you know, and by the way, the same guy who's in great shape six months later, he's a train wreck because it's like drugs take over, alcohol takes over, all the stuff. It's a different scenario. But you find yourself literally in a fight for your life. He disarmed you. He took away your 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 radio 
your handcuffs, you're on your back, you're getting pummeled. He's much larger and stronger than you. You talked about you made a smart choice and upgraded your your holster, and you're li- literally in a situation where all you have left is is the gun. Exactly, but I didn't dare uh, pull it out because it was not it was not going to be. Uh, I couldn't. It, I, it, I wouldn't be here having this conversation with you had I tried taking that gun out. Which, by the way, I just want to let you know that's how. My career was ended. A, a guy, really big, really strong, really muscular, car theft, left a lot of cocaine in the car. I, I went to reholster my service revolver. That's how long ago it was. And he took me off the, came from off the ground, and it was a fight for my life with a gun. And he had the gun turned towards my head and was firing off rounds. And I thought I sprained my wrist, Freddie, but wound up just needing multiple surgeries and steel plates and was retired. He survived. I survived. But it was an ugly, ugly, ugly scenario. And at that point, I'll be honest with you. I tell people, they don't understand this. I had the thought come to my mind, this guy's trying to kill me. I'm going to die, but it won't be tonight, and it won't be because of him. And I'll do whatever is required to win. Exactly. That's the same thought that entered my mind as he was punching me. I'll tell you one thing that did enter my mind. And, and many people that are no longer with us, this entered their mind as well. Yeah. The only thing that entered my mind as I'm there and the guy is just going to work on me was I cannot believe this is happening to me. Right. I just can't believe this is actually happening to me. And I know one without, I know with pure certainty that that's the exact same thoughts that many officers that are no longer with us had in their last moments. You're like reading because, my mind because that was the, I, I was shocked when someone's trying to kill me didn't even know yeah. me and i'm like it's it, it, it sounds stupid to say this it's very personal when someone tries to kill you it doesn't matter if you're a cop wearing a uniform you take it personal yes and 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 to see someone with so much rage I, i've never seen this man in my life and to have someone hate me so bad want me dead so bad it's 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 very hard to comprehend that you know, uh, unless you're actually there. But, but listen, I made it out of there. I, he broke my nose. He, he broke. He broke my teeth. Uh, destroyed my face. I was out of work for several weeks, and that's where it leads into where I'm at today. Before we get to that, how did you get away from him? How did you get him under control? Something clicked, and just like it, like it clicked in you, it clicked in me. I was like. No, I can't go out like this. No, I am not going to go out like this. So all I could do was bear hug him from the bottom. I said, well, I'm not going to let him hit me anymore. I just bear hugged him. And basically, he got tired of beating me up. And when he got tired of beating me up, he got off of me and just started walking away. And it was citizens that had called in. And you can hear the 911 call saying, hey, there's an officer here that's about to get killed. And they couldn't figure out which officer it was. And I can hear sirens all over the place, but, you know, it, it still, it was, it was very surreal. It was like, I can't believe this is happening, but it's actually happening. And so he got off of me, and then when the units showed up, they, you know, I pointed him out, they got him, and, and that was the end of that. But that was the beginning of who I am today. That's the beginning of your training, but I got to ask you this. 
are you ever bothered by the, the, the mental aspects of what occurred? Not at all. Good for you. I'm, I'm glad. I'm in the po- stage now, Freddie. I'm an old man, and I'm not going to give up. I don't want to give up three seconds of my day thinking about someone I went through stuff with before in battles. I don't want to do it. doesn't mean I know it was successful, but I don't dwell on that stuff. And I don't remember the names. I don't want to know the names. Right. Well, I, I, I'm very happful, uh, grateful that actually it happened because to me, you know, I believe that everything happens in life for a reason. And that was supposed to happen. And because of that one incident, I knew I needed to step outside of police work and find something that could prepare me to do this line of work. Because I was a young officer, and I was under the impression that being a police officer that did a department would do everything in their power to give you the absolute best training. And we all know that that is far, far from the truth. Right. That is not the truth. And in most, in most departments, what you have is you have an officer training officers and all he did to get to that position was pass like a two-week course to get certified in teaching you whatever he's teaching you at the whatever subject he's teaching you he's not really a professional not saying that that's the case for all of them but that was the case for a lot of them and it still is like that today you know and so it was a shock to me that the department didn't prepare me for that i would i thought it had it so I knew I needed to step outside of that and find something that will give me the tools so that I can get back out there and safely do my job with more confidence, more, more, you know, without being afraid of this happening again. How did I you decide it. upon jujitsu, in particular Gracie jujitsu? Well, there was no Gracie jujitsu in '92. I was going to say um, I, I didn't think he was, you know, in the the mainstream eye until maybe late '90s. Right, right, right. It, uh, like 95, 96 when it first, uh, 95, I think, no, 94 is when I, I believe they had the UFC. And it wasn't until about two years later that I found a school. So I didn't start training until 1996. I got to tell I people this. I found a school. If you four watch, years later. If you watch the early days of UFC, I will tell you, you watch a 150, 160-pound man, a jiu-jitsu artist, going up against about 250-pound boxer. And it was violent, it was ugly, and it was bare-knuckled, and it was no-holds-barred. Right. So it was like that street fight you're in. It's like, look, look, they're not going to kill each other, but there are serious ramifications of losing. And when you're a cop, people got to understand this. When you're a cop, you don't have the option of leaving and saying, oh, hey, I'll come back later on. De-escalation is great. That's a tactic that only works if both people want to de-escalate. It's not something you can do alone. And you cannot ever, ever quit and lose a fight. Losing a fight quite often can mean being killed, losing your life, and or being maimed for the rest of your life. And then you, not, just, not just you, your family pays, your coworkers pay, everybody pays, everybody suffers. We're going to take a short break. Man, we got some heavy-duty stuff to talk about. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Of all the radio stations in the United States, there are no other shows like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. And on Facebook, there's only one official page. Do a search on Facebook for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. And be sure to like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show Facebook page. 
after our conversation with Freddie Trillo on the Law Enforcement Joe. Freddie is interesting. He's a retired law enforcement officer from South Florida, but yet he's still a reserve officer. He trains other officers, and he is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. He trains other people, law enforcement, everybody else. Uh, go to his website, trillojujitsu.com. Well, going back to your conversation about the attack when you're a rookie, and that was a real wake-up call for you. And you said, and I'm going to paraphrase, I, I got to find something that can give me the confidence to do my job so that I'm not going to be scared all the time and, and run the risk of losing my life. How did you stumble across jiu-jitsu? Okay, I was sitting at a friend's house when the first UFC came out. And like everybody else uh, at that time, I was uh, curious to see what this was all about. And that's when I saw, you know, uh, Hoist Gracie's little, uh, not little, but uh, he was skinnier compared to all the other fighters. And it, it, here's an important part about the early UFCs. It wasn't about the athlete. It was about the style. It was to find out which style best, rep- best prepared you for an actual fight. And I knew that was important to me because up until then, I hadn't tried karate. I tried all sorts of martial arts and I couldn't find one. I could I couldn't I couldn't find one that prepared me for police work and that's when I saw the UFC. And when I saw this skinny guy just taking the big guys down and just submitting everybody with very little strikes, if right. any. It, that was like, I don't know what he's doing, but that's what I need. I and want I some of that. Years later. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing, but I want some of that. And I'll go back to that, that scenario. I can't remember the fighter's name, but he was fighting this great big, big guy, huge guy. And they were wearing geese. It was back in the day. And uh, you're right. There's very few strikes going on. But he, I think he, he won by submission on a, a, a choke. Yeah, most, most of his uh, wins were by submissions. Of course, he's not going to knock anyone out. He's not really, he's not a striker. No. So he wasn't going to knock anyone out. He just uh, wrap you up like a, like a pretzel and, and put you out. <laughs> and that's so common to what happens in law enforcement. So much of the use of force scenarios we talk about where people go hands-on are nothing more than wrestling grappling matches. There's What we see in Hollywood is that the John Waynes, the Clint Eastwoods, and everybody else, they're fist fighting, and then they have some sarcastic, smart-alecky comment after it's over. That's not reality. That's not what it's like. Most of it, it's a quick, unexpected strike, and then you're on the ground rolling around with the person. Right. I mean, strikes are, are, are good to know. You know, that's important to know, but to me, it was not about that because I'm not a big guy, and uh, I knew I needed to learn. Grappling was what was, you know, all arrests start standing, but you don't find one incident, not one. You can't find one on, on online, on YouTube, if you look for where an officer actually handcuffs somebody that's aggressively resisting or fighting you in a standing position. No, you take the guy to the ground where you limit his ability to move around, and then after some control, you place them in handcuffs. And so, to me, grappling was a huge part of it, and that's when, and I found a jiu-jitsu place, and the moment I walked in, uh, I was like, sign me up. First class, sign me up right now. I don't care. Oh, it's a year commitment. I don't care. You can put me for 20 years. Sign me up. Because to me, it was my life insurance. To me, jiu-jitsu was a life insurance. Anything else is to me you know i needed to i needed something that's going to prepare me for police work and i was a very active police officer meaning i had i was 
I worked for three uh, different departments. I started in Opalaca, then I switched over to the city of Hialeah. I was there for 10 years. And then the last 15 or so years, I've been now with uh, Miami-Dade County. And I've always been in the top 10% of arrests. I'm a very proactive officer. I was part of crime suppression teams, SWAT teams, the whole nine yards. So my numbers are really high, but yet my uh, use of force complaints against me were extremely low. Why? Because I wasn't hurting anybody. Right. I just wrap you up like a pretzel, take you down. 30 seconds is the golden number I would give people because they'll give you 30 seconds of And then once their energy is over, I don't need to do anything. I just wait for you to tire out, and then I put handcuffs on you. It was that simple. <laughs> I'm a walking example of it. I, did, I had a field force. Uh, to, to me... I had a playground to, to test all the jiu-jitsu techniques that I had been training for so many years, uh, you know, from white belt all the way to black. I, got, I had 20 years of field training, all my jiu-jitsu. So to tell you that I had a lot of experience put going hands-on with people was, I'm putting it lightly. Right. I, 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 every single day I had an incident. Now... Add that for 20-something years. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't nothing against those traffic cops to sit under a tree trying to get speeders. It's important we have cops like that. But that wasn't me. That wasn't me either. I, I, that just wasn't me. I wouldn't do that. I was out there doing the, the dirty work. I was not dirty as in bad, but I, I was doing what most don't want to do. Going in, right, looking for, 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 for the true crime subjects. Get the real bad guys off the street. That was... Well, you said earlier in the conversation, when I got out of the academy, they told you where to go. You were assigned to the district, and usually it's a high, high call district, lots of crime, because that's the one people want to get out of. And that's what I was used to. And we were so busy handling calls, handling shootings, robberies, rapes, murders, you name it. We didn't have time for traffic. We really didn't. And if I pulled a car over, it got to the point, Freddie, where I only want to stop a car if I thought there are guns, drugs, or stolen. I didn't yep. even want to mess. If it was someone blew a red light going to hurry to work, I don't want to mess with you. Yeah, because the other thing is when you stop someone because you think they ran a red light and it's just, you know, Joe Blow going to the, the, the late for work, you become complacent. And complacency in police work kills. Yes. So you got into jujitsu and you became really good at it. Here's, here's one of the things. You would think that departments would spend time training people to do this because it's a great great tool for law enforcement officers and i'll be honest with you i want the best trained available i want the best ones to show up when i call for help however the current environment of defund 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 that takes money and a lot of departments they do the bare minimum when it comes to training oh yeah oh yeah i know how to i i think i have an idea how to fix it but yeah they most departments across the u.s once you're, you're, most of your training is when you're in the police academy, but once you graduate, what do you do? One year, right. every year, you go in for a little refresher course. It's an hour or two long, whatever. It's about once a yeah, week, I mean, one, one week a year. And so it's the obligation of the officer, and they have money issues. They've got family issues. they got other things. But if they want to really stay alive, they're going to have to spend the money and train themselves. This is where your gym and your grapple control techniques and strategies for law enforcement comes into play. First of all, tell us about the grapple control techniques and strategies. 
Well, I just uh, I just fil- finished filming a uh, an instructional uh, for a website called BJJ Fanatics. They are one of the leading uh, martial arts uh, websites in the world, and um, I did a uh, an entire instructional called uh, you know Police Combatives, Police con- Control Combatives, something. I don't know the exact title right now, but um, I, it's a it's a whole instructional on stuff that I use, the techniques that I use in police work, how to completely control someone. And the funny thing is, I don't show one strike in this video, in this instructional. Not one. Everything is control, body lock takedowns, control from the side, control from the mount, how, how, how to take control of their arms, place them in positions where it leads, everything leads into handcuffing. I don't touch any strangulations. I don't touch the neck because nowadays you get do do do. You can't you're going to jail. Your, your knee across somebody's back because they think it's across the neck and you're you're hurting the guy. It's like the criminal has more rights than the actual officer, so it's make they're making it very very hard on officers uh, to perform their job. But I put it together well enough where across the board. And here's a funny, here's a great thing. If there's other the other officers that have gotten black belts now throughout the years, we're starting to get more and they're, and they're creating other programs as well. And that's important that we all, we're all trying to get law enforcement to change, change the concept of, of training their officers and incorporate more grappling control techniques because everything leads to the ground. Absolutely. So if you can teach them how to control someone, they don't have to resort to impact weapons or having to fight or hit somebody. All this out of punch and kick and, and baton. And I'm like, guys, I never did any of this. Where can people get more information about you? Well, they can look me up online. Uh, if you just type in Freddie Trillo, you'll have all the information pops up. But you have TrilloJiuJitsu.com. Uh, On YouTube, it's Trillo Tactical. That's my page. And I have over 200 videos there. A lot of them are for law enforcement. Freddie, thanks so much for being a guest and all you do is all very much appreciated. No, I appreciate you for having me. I'd like to thank our guests for coming on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show is a nationally syndicated weekly radio show broadcast on numerous AM and FM radio stations across the country. We're always adding more affiliate stations. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, which is always free, please do me a favor and tell a friend or two or three. I'll be back in just a few days with another episode of the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.